0: Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. My novel Insatiable is now available in paperback and my brand new novel Careering is available in hardback from retailers nationwide. They're both published by Sphere. Careering is also available in North America, published by Doubleday Canada. If you're in the UK and you'd like a signed copy of any of my books, including the non-fiction books How to Be a Grown-Up and The Sisterhood, you can order from my lovely local, The Margate Bookshop, who deliver across the country. And the Radio 4 adaptation of Careering with Ellie White and Ruth Everett is available on BBC Sounds. Also, I'll be chairing a conversation with Dorno Porter and Jane Fallon at Waterstones Piccadilly on the 27th of October, and I'll be appearing with podcast alumnus Lindsay Kelk at a special event in Waterstones, Birmingham on the 7th of November. Now, after all that, on to today's guest, Lucy Foley. Lucy is an international superstar author. She's written historical fiction and thrillers, and her gripping new novel, The Paris Apartment, has just come out in paperback. She’s also contributed to the new book Marple," in which different writers pay tribute to Agatha Christie’s beloved detective. We talk about Agatha Christie a lot, and I knew we were going to have a brilliant time as soon as Lucy dropped the bunkbuster bomb. Her passion for books really shines. She is a true reader’s writer. We recorded this conversation at the start of the year, and I’m so glad we can finally share it with you. Enjoy. So we are at HarperCollins HQ and we're surrounded by some fabulous Agatha Christie editions and Lucy I know that Agatha Christie is a big favourite of yours. Are there any books that you especially love um, in the shelf behind us or indeed any books that you've not read yet that you'd love to read?
1: I mean yes I'm just looking in awe at these covers they're incredible. Um, I think the one that I come back to time and again that was a kind of a huge inspiration in writing my first book, The Hunting Party, and really in each of the murder Mysteries, um, is And Then There Were None. Um, for me, it's kind of Christy at her darkest. We don't have a sleuth character. Um, and I think that makes things feel kind of very raw and dangerous. Um, we know that we're not necessarily going to be sat down at the end of the book and kind of told the solution, um, you know, in the drawing room. Uh, I love my Poirés, I love my Miss Marples, but, um, you know, I think it is it is Christie's sort of rawest and, and, and darkest and most brilliant. Oh, yeah, there's
0: no one guiding you through the story. You don't mm. know who to trust. Can you remember when you read it? How did you find it? So I first read uh, My Agatha
1: Christie's when I was actually pretty young, probably a bit too young, um, when I was a child. And I loved them for the kind of pure puzzle solving element, I think. Um, I then came back to them um, more recently as an adult. And I think that was when I realised the kind of darkness inherent to them. Um, You know, I think people think of Agatha Christie as a kind of cosy crime author. um, And she is sort of emphatically not that. Um, There are some kind of Pretty sort of brutal occurrences. um, Some fairly kind of some reveals. If you think of the kind of um, denouement of a book like *Crooked House*, reveals that still feel fairly taboo even to this day.
0: I think it's so interesting as well what you said about reading them as a younger reader and being so engaged by Mm. the plot and what she was doing and how she was doing it and just solving the mystery and then only later thinking these are really quite bleak mm. and dark and I think that's really common that when we're younger I think we've maybe got sort of more of an appetite or maybe because we've sort of seen less life that we're you've got more of a stomach for the darkness.
1: Absolutely and I think it it was also just purely seeing them as a kind of game which is a level mm. that they can be read on you know they're yeah. really enjoyable for that and I think that's one of the reasons that that they've Continue to be kind of so enduringly um kind of globally popular um but that but there's also kind of a lot more going on beneath the surface you know when you start to pull those threads Um, and I think actually the the brilliant screen adaptations recently by Sarah Phelps Mm. um the adaptation of And Then There Were None I think really kind of brought home to me the sort of darkness in that book because she kind of really dialed that up um, and and it was just so well put together.
0: I love that and to take a story that we are all quite familiar with, and bring it to the audience in a different way. Mm. I think we don't want. I don't want necessarily films and adaptations that are entirely, entirely faithful. I think I'd much rather, you know, see someone. Who, you know, Sarah Phelps is such a brilliant writer. Instead sort of see, you know, what she can do and how she's inspired by something, rather than do a sort of beat by beat, page by page this this this?
1: No I think absolutely I don't feel that um, screen adaptations should be completely faithful to the letter of the book because I think if they're a complete facsimile of the book they're going to disappoint because the screen is a very different thing from the page. I want them to be faithful to the atmosphere and the essence of the book Um, but I also like to see that kind of world cracked open and also in the way that Sarah Phelps does kind of engage with sort of perhaps more modern themes, mm. with kind of 21st century themes, um, but also staying kind of true to the, to the essence of the era in which the book was written.
0: Are there any books that you would like to adapt with the screen or anything you've read where you thought, oh, you could do all sorts with this?
1: What a fascinating question, because the one thing I've definitely emphatically thought is I don't want to adapt my own books because I'm kind of too close to them. And I think when I've put the put the kind of finishing touch on them, I'm done with mm. them and I kind of never want to return to them. And I and I, and I would like to see someone else, um, someone else's kind of interpretation of them. Um, I would love to write a kind of original screenplay. That's definitely something I'm really interested in. But gosh, thinking about um, a book that I would want to adapt, I think I'd have to go away and think about it. Um, but perhaps one of the Agatha Christie's kind of bringing out in the way that Sarah Phelps does kind of hidden elements or less obvious elements within the story um, that could kind of really speak to a,
0: a modern audience. Um, now, I understand um, you have written a Miss Marple story.
1: I have. Yeah, it was such fun to do. And um, kind of stepping into the shoes of this character that I've enjoyed reading about for so long. You know, I've always been more of a Marple than a Poirot fan. I love Poirot, but I, I love Miss Marple because she's sort of she's kind of invisible to the other characters. You know, they just see this sort of slightly silly elderly woman and she kind of knocks their socks off every time. Um, She's just got this kind of brilliant brain. She's as brilliant as a Sherlock Holmes, um, but she's completely underestimated. So it's such fun playing with that. Um, And the sort of, The the way they patronize her, um, the way they kind of underestimate her at every turn, it was fun. Kind of, I used to write historicals, and so it was fun, sort of writing in a sort of historical setting as well, and kind of merging the two types of writing I've
0: done. So, kind of thriller, crime writing, and and
1: historical writing.
0: Um, I'd love to hear about what kind of reader you were growing up, and you know, if there are any other books sort of beyond Agatha Christie that really kind of leapt out at you? Were you enthusiastic or reluctant or was there a person in your life who really turned you on to books?
1: I think the person that really turned me on to books was my granny. Um, so she had an antique shop and she had all these wonderful sort of first editions of Ina Blyton's and she'd sort of select the best ones and bring them home and we kind of read those together and I know that um, people are often a bit down on Enid Blyton. You know, they've said in the past that she's she wasn't a great writer because her grammar was off or whatever. Um, I think she was a fantastic storyteller. And in a way, I think the Faraway Tree series, for me, is almost like a metaphor for, for what we experience when, when we read a book. So it was this concept of this magical tree um, with different lands that would sort of float over the top on clouds and these... Children can escape into these different lands every time they climb the tree. And I think that's kind of the experience that I have with reading. Every time, you know, we sort of step into a new world, we're kind of immersed in it. As readers, we live a thousand lives. read a lot of Edith Blyton. So um, I love
0: as well these sort of obviously very valuable books. They weren't, you know, precious. There was no sense of, oh, you know, we can't touch these. They were there to be read and loved and enjoyed.
1: Absolutely. And well, I think they were, they were precious and they were the ones she'd sort of saved to read
0: with her grandchildren, which is just... Wonderful. There are many, I think, you know, legitimate and appropriate criticisms and things about her writing and her views and values that are not good in mm. 2022. But she's writing magical worlds and there was, you know, the faraway tree and the wishing chair and it's all about Enchanted Lands and Possibility. But then she also wrote these really realistic books, boarding school mm. set up that might feel a boarding school itself is a slightly odd place to set something now but that sense of having all those you know young women together and that tension and how they all sort of dealt with each other I mean I think a lot about how if I had gone to Mallory Towers I probably would have been Gwendolyn because <laughs> I hated sports so much and I'm not brave and I'm you know quite shallow and impressed by exciting I'm like, oh the new girl is a Jane. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: Gwendolyn is a brilliant sort of anti-heroine. I love her. I'm also obsessed with that swimming pool, mm. the kind of salt water filled swimming pool. Slippery bottom. Yeah, fantastic. And the mamzelles as well, these sort of slightly, you know, these kind of schoolgirl crushes, that the, yeah. which is so, you know, I went to an all-girls school and there were those kind of teachers or those older girls that you sort of, you did have a bit of a crush on. You sort of wanted to be them. You sort of a little bit
0: in love with them. And that sort of, yeah, that distant, exciting kind of, because I remember that as well, like, just being completely fascinated and obsessed with, like, what the teachers were doing and who they were and, you know, what they did in their spare time and this Mm -hmm. sort of idea that they had any kind of life outside the school, which of course they did was quite hard to get your head around. Yes, and I think still is,
1: actually. I went back to my old school to do an event and I got let into the staff room Ah. and it was just a room, you know, with, like, some coffee making equipment it wasn't there wasn't kind of anything kind
0: of particularly <laughs> mysterious
1: or magical about it but it still I felt it had this sort of atmosphere you know it felt a bit kind of prohibited I couldn't believe I was in this sort of
0: rarefied space because <laughs> oh, the other thing as well is I think I imagine that like, of course they're all talking about me and stuff and it's like no i highly doubt that yeah they're busy living their lives busy on just drinks.
1: chilling out scrolling through their phones i also loved books like kind of wonderful coming of age stories like i capture the castle it's one of my favorite books of all time but i'm actually a bit nervous to reread it in adulthood because it meant so much to me at the time as a teen and i'm just not sure i would experience it necessarily in the same way now as a kind of jaded adult coming back
0: to it i reread it over lockdown and produced dale it for the first time then and i thought it held up and more I was really stunned and I think that a little bit like what you were saying about being a young reader and you know becoming more aware of the darkness mm. as you get older I think when I was a teenager I was so swept away by the the romance, the of romance. It. and I could see how hard it was like topaz and how desperately she's trying to make everyone everything okay and keep everyone mm, together mm. i had a lot more sympathy for that her around, and, yeah. and even you know rose which not to reveal too much it's complicated isn't it that there are books that sort of romance poverty and i don't think the books are doing mm. that i think it's us and how we you know experience the past through them um yeah i, I think it's just because the writing's so good so good and the characters are so beautifully drawn
1: Absolutely. And that reminds me of kind of other books like, um, The Little Princess, mm. which is sort of, again, that kind of genteel poverty. It's fascinating. And
0: also it's has, tough. I think, a secret socialist heart. Mm,
1: absolutely. Yes. Yeah, sort of, it's what you realise, I think, coming back to these books, it's sort of messages at their heart, you know, that you hadn't been
0: perhaps quite aware of as a, as a child. It's really true. And I think we don't realise who we are and sort of to what extent all these books have really shaped us Mm. until we look back and think, oh, that was what that was about. Mm, Absolutely. Are there any books that you're really excited about sharing with your son when he's sort of old enough and ready for them?
1: Oh, I mean, so many, and so many that I've forgotten, I think. And I realise now, kind of browsing the um, children's area of the bookshop, um, you sort of forgotten all these wonderful gems. I, there was a wonderful book called, I might be about to get the title wrong, but The Adventures of the Little Wooden Horse, um, and it was just absolutely heartbreaking but in the way that so many children's books are actually you know it's really pretty heartbreaking and dark and and there's this sort of quest and it's fraught with danger um but it's it's ultimately a kind of really hopeful book and The Little Wooden Horse is this wonderfully kind of brave character. Um, It's sort of the original toy story in a way, I think. Oh, wow. And is Um, the horse
0: okay? I need to know that before I...
1: The horse is okay, but he goes through a lot. You know, it's pretty traumatic. Um, Trigger warnings abound, I think. Um, But, I mean, it was just so wonderfully, wonderfully written Um, and I would love to kind of return to that, but I'll have to kind of brace myself for it, I think, as well. Oh God,
0: that awful! Like, why are you crying? <laughs> yeah. I know oh, what's going to come. Are there any books that you would love to have read to you? Well, I think um,
1: one series that I'd like to return to and probably had have have read to me would be uh, the Worst Witch series. Um, for me, those books were just. Brilliant! I think I was quite a naughty schoolgirl, and it seemed to kind of vindicate being a naughty school girl and quite kind of bad at lessons, and always kind of terrible, terrible things happening. And um, and yet the characters triumphed in the end. But um, you know, in a way, it was a sort of original kind of magic, magical child book. You know, um, I love my Harry Potters, but I think the Worst Witch got there first, and I, I, I just think they were so well done and so kind of funny. There's so much
0: humour in them. Oh, that was why I loved them, because I think there was. It's funny now, as an adult, anything that's sort of magical. I think. Oh, I. I don't know that that's for me. And I think often it's because that someone's taken a lot of care to explain exactly how a magical universe works and what the magical laws are. And what I love about books like *The Worst*, Witch is that the sort of almost the magic was incidental, and yet, yeah, and it was funny, and it was funny because. It was a celebration of naughtiness. Mm. It reminds me a little bit of, um, I remember loving um, those books by Belle Mooney, the Kitchy series, and Kitchy yes. was naughty. Yes, yes.
1: Oh, I mean, to be honest, always, we always want a naughty protagonist, don't we? We don't want do-gooders. We want kind of someone that's sort of going to push the envelope and, and, and do things that we wouldn't do ourselves, you know, and sort of that we would kind of maybe envy in that way sort of say the things we would never dare to say do the things we would never dare to do well, especially, especially as children.
0: The first Kitty book I read was called Don't Read This Book <laughs> and I remember the cover was sort of lilac and it had a cartoon girl on it who I guess was Kitty and she had very frizzy hair and a scowl and there was an actual cue to read Don't Read This Book when it's quiet reading time it was the one that everyone was trying to get to first and I thought that's just the most Basic reverse psychology in the world. And how genius!
1: It's it's like a sort of <laughs> Lady Chatterley's Lover yes. thing. You know, ban the book. You there know, was it's a brilliant trial an assembly, actually. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. I think another book that I would love to have read to me, I was just thinking about this, would be it's a wonderful book called The Owl Who's Afraid of the Dark. And, um, and I actually, I think recently, I've been very busy with work and things and lots on my mind. I found I couldn't sleep one night and I was staying at my parents' house. And I came down and I found that book on the shelf because I think my mum had been reading it to my nephew. And I read it and it's the most wonderful, comforting tale. It's about this little owl called Plop. I don't know if you ever read it, but he basically is afraid of the dark, which, of course, is actually an owl's element. You know, (laughs) owls thrive in the dark. Um, And so he kind of descends the tree at night and he has all these adventures with different people who tell him why they love the dark. You know, dark is kind, dark is magic, dark is sort of... It it holds all these kind of possibilities. Um,
0: And it's just such a gorgeous tale. And again, there's a message there. It's, to be honest, it's not that subtle, but it's a good and important (laughs) message. And I think it's something that... If you are a child or have ever been one, you need to hear.
1: But I think you know, there on a kind of deeper level, I started thinking about it more deeply, t- and I was thinking, you know, it's about kind of embracing the unknown as well. Sort mm. of, it's about, in a way, it's sort of about embracing. Kind of change as well, and sort of because because ultimately he needs to go off into the world and hunt for himself. You know, he's used to having his parents bringing back kind of little you know, dead mice and things for him, but ultimately he needs to kind of spread his wings and go off into the world himself. And so, I think there are these sort of great universal themes in it. Oh, like, oh, the places you'll go. If you know, Perfect. nowadays.
0: <laughs> Any books at your school that got sort of passed around or whispered about or anything?
1: Oh, well, know? I remember there was this girl in my year, um, Linnae, and she was, she looked sort of about 13 going on 25. She was South African. She was incredibly kind of glamorous. Um, and she used to read these wonderful sort of historical bonkbusters ah. um, by Judith McNaught, which she would, she once passed me one on a long coach journey, and it was just Glorious! <laughs> <laughs> I just completely fell into, like, a Judith McNaught-shaped hole for about a year and just read these books and sort of had to hide them from my mum. Jilly Cooper as well, mm. you know, with the kind of... <laughs> the- way the books would kind of fall open at certain points um in the tale um but I love Julie Cooper I've come back to them again recently and there's just you know that you can just tell she's having such fun with her cast of characters and such fun
0: with these kind of grand canvases that she's created I can talk about those books all day I think Rivals is my forever favorite because as well as all the sex the sort of the details about how she makes like bidding for a regional television franchise the most exciting thing I in the know, world. I know, I know. No other author
1: would be able to get away with it. You know, we're all told you have to wear your research lightly and you can't kind of really just sort of show off about how much you know, but I'm absolutely fascinated. I'm there for all of it. I did want to ask you if you have a
0: favourite Jilly Cooper?
1: Oh yes, Perling. I think. I love Luke. I love I love Perdita as well. I mean, what a name. Um, and she's the ultimate kind of naughty girl. Mm. We sort of love to hate her, hate to love her. You know, she does some really awful things and she's kind of stroppy and difficult and, and yet kind of gorgeous. We sort of totally in love with her, I think, as, as the reader.
0: I love it so much. I reread it recently and I'd forgotten about the relationship between Daisy and Drew. And how well done, I think, that Mm, is. And mm. I think the first time I read it as a teenager, I felt like, like, I am Vegeta, And I thought, Daisy's like, oh God, my awful, frumpy, embarrassing, wippy mum. And, you know, Daisy, I loved her. And my heart broke for her. And I was rooting for her more than Perdita. I had exactly... This is age. This is my late 30s.
1: I had exactly the same experience reading it recently. Um, You know, I think when I read it the first time, I was like... Ooh, like old people great you know having sex and grim no like, thank really, you. shut she's up she's only about 40
0: yes. as well
1: she's clearly still gorgeous i mean clearly just gorgeous full stop um absolutely but i'd also forgotten um the power of that scene where pedita um turns up as the lady of charlotte at the mm. party and she's just got her hair to cover her and like imagine having the balls to do that i just kind of i wish i'd done that in my kind of early 20s <laughs> just gone to a party totally naked i um,
0: think <laughs> In the way there are certain things that you sort of imagine you will do, like you know, I'll I'll go and conquer, I'll win an Oscar. I was like, surely at some I'll just you know turn up to party and be naked, and everyone be like, wow, yeah, that, that ship is uh, passed. Never, never. <laughs> I thought you were going to say about Chessie uh, and Bart and the helicopter and the spanking. Oh I quite my goodness. Quite excited and quite scandalised by that. Yes,
1: yes, that actually sort of slightly reminds me of a scene in Footballers' Wives that I really distinctly remember watching with my <laughs> mum, where it's Tanya on the plane. I don't know if you remember it. Was, it was really, really out there, you know, for sort of, was it BBC, ITV? I can't yeah, remember it. Just for, it just felt it pretty.
0: Late 90s, early Pretty raunchy.
1: Slightly awkward one to watch with a parent. We are sort of giggling
0: nervously to ourselves. <laughs> She can just... I think Jilly can just get away with things that other writers can't. And maybe it's because she is so passionate and so interested, and I guess it's the journalist in her, and I think she is interested in everything. And I think that to be a good storyteller, you've just got to stay curious. And I mm. think that's what I love so much about your books, that we know these characters with you, that you it doesn't feel as though you're approaching them knowing everything there is to know, even though you invented them. And I think with Jilly as well, that's just that appetite for how things are made and how things are done and it always makes me think of Neil Strackfield and the <gasps> administrative detail oh, of, like thrilled. Thrilled. being in children's theatre in the 30s which I didn't think that was something I would be interested in but I will wrap it up. Oh but I mean those books
1: are sort of they have the same kind of flavour for me as kind of fairy tale you know they talking about magic you know there is a kind of magic to them they're not kind of specifically about magic but it's just this sort of insight into this world that you would kind of never experience otherwise you know you kind of fall into a different universe and you really care about it you kind of that we talk about sort of you know in, in fantasy and science fiction the kind of world building and how important that is but I think it's important in any genre and yes. I think in those books it's so well done we sort of understand this this sort of canvas that she's
0: created for us. They're all books that are so f- Full of possibility, and mm. I think what I love especially about the theatre ones, like I think I'm allowed to do a spoiler. When Pauline goes to Hollywood at the end of Ballet oh, Shoes, and think she gets her makeover, <laughs> it's sort of magical in that it seems improbable and yet entirely plausible. Mm. And I don't know about you, I definitely feel as an author, the most weird and thrilling and exciting thing about what we do is. Once your words are out in the world, anything can happen and anyone can find them. And who knows where Mm. that's going to lead. And that you can go from like, the lodges are leaving. We're going to have to sell Cromwell Road. We don't know where gum is. What's going to happen to, it's okay, I'm going to Los Angeles (laughs) and I will take care of everyone. But also, I think when I read that as a kid, I was giddy and like I said I'm quite shallow it's like yes, all yes your time. The and I reread it a couple of years <laughs> ago and I wept and wept and wept and just the sisters being broken apart and Posey going off like you're you're a kid mm, mm. and again that
1: the the uh, in, a, in a time you know that kind of desperation and in a time when you know I think actually the last couple of years have shown us that travel isn't sort of as easy as we've mm. taken it for granted with and the world has suddenly felt a bit more kind of connected in a horrible way in terms of the pandemic but you know great kind of gaps have opened up between families like I hadn't seen my sister for two years until um last Christmas and and that was just kind of unthinkable before that um and you really sort of feel that um In a funny way, it reminds me of um, Brooklyn by um, Tobin. Yes, Yes. Colm (laughs) Tobin. Thank you. (laughs) Which, again, is just that sense of distance. And she's going off on her own and she's going to kind of make a better life for herself and possibly her family, some money home. And she doesn't know when she'll be back with her mum
0: again. Um, And it's just devastating got I was utterly stunned by that book. I read mm. it on holiday, someone brought it with them, and to be quite honest, it was one of those books that everyone's like, Oh, you know, you'll love this, it's very good. And I was like, Yes, yes, yes. I thought it was maybe gonna be quite dry and quite descriptive. And I was like, a man writing a woman, I don't think so. And I was absolutely shaken by how much how lovable and how real she is. And it's a bit weird the sort of the honesty and it's quite uncomfortable and it's sort of sexy and strange mm, and that mm. weird i've really i felt like the way her desire is put on the page is so affecting and so accurate
1: totally so vivid and true A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three
0: years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. We'll be back with Lucy soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen Wahala by Nikki May. This book was recommended to me by a friend of the podcast, Lauren Bravo, and it's one of my favourite novels of 2022. Funny, fresh, dark, stylish and smart. Three best friends, Ronke, Simi and Boo, have their lives upended when a very glamorous old friend comes to town. It's a thriller, but the way the relationships are drawn and the friendships are crafted reminds me of some of my favourite Marion Keyes novels. It's sophisticated, addictive, brilliantly written, dark but fun. Wahala by Nikki Mae is published by HarperCollins and out now. Now back to Lucy. In the before times when we went to what were your did you have any go-to holiday reads? I yeah, I mean I go for I go
1: for escapism. So um I have taken my dogger Jilly Coopers um on, on many holidays because they just bear so much rereading. Um but I also love a kind of glamorous thriller, so I love taking my Patricia Highsmiths. So I could read turn to Mr. Ripley again and again and oh. again because it's it's sort of it it's sort of so dark but it's also kind of so escapist you know and this sort of um grand tour in a way that he goes on of italy mm. and he goes to paris and it's sort of the age of the age of kind of Glamorous travel, you know, when he has to sort of take a steamship yes. to get to Europe, but then trains. I love trains. I love reading about trains um, and the kind of possibilities they they represent. Oh. Um, so, a Patricia highsmith is 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 normally a good thing to I put in my that. suitcase.
0: I feel like that's almost like the best and worst book to take on holiday because if you are,
1: <laughs> you know, in Italy on the
0: Riviera, who's like, in the bushes?
1: <laughs> totally. But I also like to often try and find something that's set in the place that I'm mm. travelling to. So so when I go to Greece, you know, it's kind of interesting to, to read something sort of set there and Oh, what feel do like you have flavor. any Greek books you'd recommend? I've still not read The Polly Samson one and I'm desperate to read that. Theatre the Dreamers. Me too, Theatre for Dreamers. I actually took that on holiday to Greece um this time round and didn't get round to it um because I think because I've got a baby now and that's such a pathetic answer and I was also still working on my book damn it but uh I mean obviously Louis de Bernier um but I would love to I would love to kind of get into a few more Greek writers I think and read about them writing about their homeland
0: it would be great wouldn't it because I love Eleanor Ferrante so much like Mm -hmm. everyone else in the world Mm -hmm. and um there are some Italian writers wonderful sense of place And obviously I can only read them in translation, Mm. so I don't know what I'm missing. But, Mm. yeah, to have that sense of sort of the, you know, heat and light and sharpness Mm. in the atmosphere. So I know uh, we've talked about a few. Do you have any other favourite kind of anti-heroines or, you know, bad girls or boys, either made good or irredeemably?
1: Oh, my goodness. I love love, um, Joe in the Carolyn Kepnes You series. I mean, in a way, he's a sort of... Inherit, he's kind of like a, a sort of modern Thomas Ripley. You know, he's sort of, he's, he's probably a psychopath. In fact, he's definitely a psychopath. He's going around murdering people, but you sort of see things from his point of view and you kind of understand why, um, he does the things he does and you sort of realise that the, the the people that he kills off pretty awful anyway. Um, so they're wonderfully sort of playful, those books, and, and they make us kind of uncomfortably root for this. A terrible sort of anti-hero um, oh, I don't
0: know those books at all But I really want to Oh
1: they're them. fantastic And there's a there's a brilliant um, Netflix adaptation of them um, And it's Oh what's his name Penn Badgley Who was in Gossip <laughs> Girl So he's kind of very pretty And looks like kind of butter wouldn't mm. melt And yet he's this sort of Psychopathic serial killer So it's a great bit of casting
0: Oh that sounds great fun and I wonder if we are going to get sort of more books that kind of tinder swindlery, because it's such a fascinating area, isn't it? A sort of likeable rogue who takes it. And I mean, talk about problematic faves. I was so transported by and fascinated by Lolita when I read it. And I think that's one of the ultimate examples of an utter, irredeemable mm-hmm. villain being mm-hmm. truly charming and mm-hmm. charming as all.
1: Mm, and that's um, kind of the real artistry of the author at work, isn't it? Kind of bringing you around uncomfortably to that sort of point where you're empathising with them and you really don't want to go there. You're kind of dragged kicking and screaming as a reader to that point. But I've, another naughty heroine has just come to mind, or a kind of dislikable love to hate, hate to love, um, Francois Sagon, um Bonjour Tristesse. Oh, I love that book. just glorious um and again talk about a book that you'd want to bring on holiday that's sort of that the heat and light of the south of france and this sort of very glamorous kind of family setup, really with her mm. sort of you know playboy father and she's sort of allowed to just kind of go off and kiss boys on the yeah. beach yeah the 1960s yeah it yeah. was written in the 50s 60s um it's incredibly kind of ahead of its time in
0: that um, to be honest i reread it Um, I think it's another one that I reread in lockdown and I I remember there being tons of sex in this it's it's not really and I think it's just
1: my sort of febrile teen imagination it's all kind of titillation isn't Mm. there it's sort of wonderfully French for that you know it's all kind of hinted at but it's sort of off off screen as it were
0: but what I appreciated much more this time around as well is the sort of the two women, the new girlfriend and the mm. ex of the father, and how the older woman triumphs. And she's sort of just in; she's much sexier in that she's sort of mature and she knows herself. So and the sure sort of insecure and, trying and to the address. younger one, the,
1: the younger one, kind of getting sunburned. Yeah. And you know, she sort <laughs> <They> of <laughs>
0: both appear at the casino. <laughs> that's
1: brilliant. And seeing that all through the eyes of a much younger woman mm. who's sort of, you know, just coming into her kind of adulthood and sort of, underst- you know, kind of, they're they're sort of revelations for her that actually a much older woman mm. could be, have that kind of sexual power, that that attraction. Yes. She sort of feels it herself. Um, and it's a kind of revelation for us as a reader, I
0: think. I do think there's something about her, I can't remember her name, the way she sort of, she hates everyone and observes everything and kind of holds herself away and I know there's that bit of her I think she's sort of in her room she's doing a lot of yoga and she's supposed mm. to be studying and she isn't studying and it really reminds me of the protagonist anti-heroine heroine of um my year of rest and relaxation
1: yes yes
0: which I have only read a little bit of but was really enjoying so need to come back to I do, it's the only Atessa I've read, and I want to read more. But I just—I remember when that book came out, feeling quite grieved, because I'm like, I didn't know we were allowed to write novels about that. I would have written a novel about that if I'd been yes, allowed. Yes, isn't that the
1: wonderful thing when, when, a, when a writer kind of shows you all the possibilities that are open to you and those kind of, kind of weird, almost more than dark places that you're kind of allowed to take your readers because those kind of experiences will probably find some kind
0: of common feeling with them if you've had them yourself they'll I probably speak to someone else genuinely worry what it says about me i was like, oh the possibilities the adventure the places the breadth of experience it's also dazzling i was like no i literally want to write about a woman who drugs herself unconscious for a year and doesn't go anywhere <laughs> are there any books that you wish you would have written
1: Oh, so many. I mean, so many. Um, I think that feeling as a writer of reading a book that you're so enjoying but it's almost a painful experience um, to to read it because you're just kind of marveling at the brilliance of it and you're just thinking I could never do this myself so well but um I've actually been reading Vladimir at the moment um by Julia Mae Jonas oh I I don't know that book I bought it from the states it's not out here until May but I managed to get get a copy um sent to me um and it's it's wonderful in a way it's sort of, I guess you can tell by the name, it's sort of playfully tangling with Lolita a little bit. Um, but it's a 60 year old um, lecturer who has a, has an affair with a much younger colleague and um, talk about the kind of the female gaze, the way she sort of describes him and his body and like the sweat stains, on, stains under his arms. And, you know, it's brilliantly sort of pervy and voyeuristic and uncomfortable um and it's just so incisive the writing is just brilliant and she has this wonderful line about how she always feels anger starting in her vagina and and that she hasn't ever read that in a book before and I was like but that's true I think as a woman I've experienced that this is massive overshare time but I thought that was such a great a, a
0: great line oh I am sold I need to read that, that sounds incredible. It's fabulous
1: and it's kind of angry and messy and um, brilliant. Yeah,
0: and very funny as well. That uh, sounds so good. I read I Love Dick nearly a year ago and that was a book I was super late to. But I just remember loving how she sort of revels in. And it wasn't that sort of, I am a, a hot mess and I'm in chaos and I'm so broken but so lovable. It really was... I've, never read a woman writing about herself in a way where she sort of seemed to kind of like she was writing about herself like she was a sort of a beta man if that makes sense like she was very entirely insecure but not seeking reassurance mm. she was just sort of giving herself up to this force and this mm. weird sort of there was something kind of thrillingly and it's like and it's really really funny mm. as well I mm. don't feel like I've heard that voice before.
1: How interesting that's a kind of really it's really exciting isn't it when you read about an experience that perhaps speaks to your own or feels entirely different from your own but that you've never found on paper before Mm. but that feels so kind of vivid and real and sort of really puts you into that kind of new perspective Um, and I think you know increasingly we're kind of seeing that kind of new ways that it's okay to write about being a woman mm. you know and you can kind of allow yourself to go to those weird places that that you might not have shared
0: before i would love to talk about these um agatha christie covers because i think <laughs> these are all uh like reproduced book club so sort of graphic and striking we both i think loved i don't know if you've read sleeping murder this Martha's last <gasps> it's case. wonderful 70s typeface um it's yeah i love of- it hot pink print on purple and it's I don't think you call that sort of bubble writing or I think that
1: font only existed in the seventies and then didn't exist before and did hasn't really <laughs> existed after but it's so wonderfully of its time it's fabulous and it's sort of got a kind of faded look to it as well on the spine. It looks like it's it looks like it's sort of been sitting out in the sun a bit too long.
0: A chorus of praise for curtain Paris Last Case um so I guess it's a different book. I love the last one from The Evening Standard. The plotting is still superb my Sally from the Evening Standard, as though Agatha Christie is sort of waiting with bated breath to, to see what this review Do
1: you know, I find that one of the most uh, reassuring things as a writer, though, is to... Because, <laughs> you know... Um, it's, it's a kind of worrying world we live in as a writer. You put something out there and then everyone can immediately have a kind of opinion on it. And there are, you know, there are obviously going to be bad reviews out there and you just have to kind of find a way of coping with that. But I find it really reassuring to read bad reviews of some of the kind of best books ever written. So the kind of the talent of Mr. Ripley's, the Rebecca's, you know, these books that I sort of hold up as kind of part of the sort of crime and thriller canon and, and my kind of personal hero Books. um There were some real stinkers out there, um so it's just wonderful to think how badly those have aged.
0: <laughs> I think we um, always think of Homer Simpson's review of Harper Lee it contains no useful advice on killing mockingbirds.
1: Totally, totally, and that's exactly the sort of review that you could kind of credibly find
0: on some review sites these days. <laughs> Did you? See, I've seen. I think I've seen a documentary and a half about Truman Capote when. Um, Truman Capucci's first book came out. But he was quite young, and there was this mm. very sort of moody photo of him, and it's all like blonde fringe, and he was you know, doing a bit of a pout, and it was quite, you know, really, really young. The press around it was sort of baffling, like, terrifyingly sexy man writes book, and there's this big scandal <laughs> around this photo, and like, right, oh. how fabulous it's, he was. <laughs> it was literally just his face. <laughs> amazing I don't I'm, know if I would have coped in those days or not
1: <laughs> but I think he sort of courted that didn't he mm. He courted the kind of myth of Truman Capote and the sort of the image of himself kind of lying I think he used to write lying on his cha- his chaise longue um with a martini in hand I'm sure that's 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 how he used to do it I had a bad back from kind of just writing all his novels kind of and, and books supine um, <laughs>
0: Is there any other... This is an awkward question because you, you know, it would be entirely understandable if you didn't have a ready answer. I'm not sure I would. But are there any other writers' writing routines you're aware of that you'd either love to imitate or hate to?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, the other day I took myself for, I thought, a very Hemingway-esque lunch. I had some oysters, <laughs> which is really pushing the boat out, and a glass of white wine. And I typed while I sat there in the sun because it was the sort of first really... Warm, sunny day um of the year, and I just felt pretty fabulous. I'm sure what I wrote was absolute rubbish, but you know it felt like oh, I should really kind of get some more sort of vices as a writer. you know I should do a yeah. bit more kind of drinking while I write, you know, I'm far too kind of stayed and you
0: know must do my sort of work <laughs> daily word count and um I yeah. love that, and I think that all the time like this is absolutely not what i for how I thought I'd do it. Like isn't that the story of um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Man, Douglas Adams? Mm, and stories about him like being locked in hotel rooms by his publisher because he'd missed his deadline and I'm not sure my publisher would we just need Do a bit that. more drama. i yeah. quite like a
1: bit more sort of... Say, I wouldn't actually. Um, I just want to hand things in on time and not get told to off. <laughs> um, but, but I'm endlessly fascinated um, in reading about other authors and their routines. So I love the um, Paris Review interviews. I've got mm. the kind of collections of their interviews with authors, um, which is just fascinating. Um, you know, from everyone. I uh, think
0: that's a great interview with Rebecca West, where she just hates everyone. Mm. And sometimes I think about, you know, WhatsApp chats and things I say, like, oh, am I a terrible irredeemable bitch? And I'm like, no, Rebecca West.
1: <laughs> totally. She says it in print. Totally. And Patricia Highsmith, I know I've talked about her a lot, but um currently reading her diaries and notebooks, which is just wonderful. I think she, you know, it sounds like it's sort of very kind of voyeuristic, but she, I think they are quite now quite clear that she always wanted them to be read so they're quite kind of crafted but they're incredibly bitchy and juicy um and she had some very very strange practices that she sort of engaged she kept snails oh um, i heard sort of that. snails that she would sort of produce at parties um she was a great fan of a kind of seven martini lunch um and Oh, they're just fabulous. They're a great kind of uh, picture of kind of New York at the time, a certain sort of milieu that she was sort of surrounded with. Um, but also kind of very... She was a very brave um, character, you know, she was sort of experimenting with gender and with herself. And she you know, had these kind of visions of herself as a as a man with a a wife and two children, you know, the kind of 50s ideal. But she put herself in the role of the sort of father bringing mm. home um, home the rent.
0: Um, and I just thought, it's just fascinating. What well, an read. incredible record as well. And how, you know, interesting... Now, I think to sort of know, you know, when we're having conversations about mm. gender and choice and breadth and, and what it all means, to, you know, you would, one would hope, I'd certainly hope, that that's the sort of record that would, you know, promote and generate mm. empathy mm. and a greater understanding Absolutely. and acceptance of all people. I've mm. been listening to a podcast about uh, Bennington College where. Um Easton Nelson and Donna Tart studied at the same time, and there are some um records about that and people talking about how Donna Tart was in a relationship. I can't remember who her boyfriend was, but they were sort of which i think you know they would describe it as role play and that sort of get that experimentation with kind of with gender and obviously, you know she's a writer you know, and in the secret history she writes from sort of a young man's perspective Amen. and does it so um, well, but you know I think it's such a sort of a a rich and fascinating and, and thoughtful area and I hope that we're still you know reading with curiosity and compassion and that we can sort of learn so much about world when we look back, I sound like PBS. <laughs> oh, I wish I sounded like PBS.
1: No, but honestly, I'm going to have to listen to that. That sounds fascinating. I've said fascinating a lot, but a lot of things are fascinating in this discussion. Really good.
0: Um, so yeah, Easton Ellis is an interesting writer in terms of cold-blooded killers that mm, you yeah, maybe mm, should hate more than you do. Totally. I don't, I mean, I'd struggle to be like, I mean, Patrick Bateman is, you know, he's awful, but he's kind of a great guy. I, I think he is irredeemable. But it's I like think he is. Chill. And I've never known another writer to be so cold and yet so compelling. Mm, mm, I think that's the thing. So I don't think you ever
1: empathise with Patrick no. Bateman, but you are f- you are completely compelled and fascinated by him.
0: Um, you sort of can't look away. Oh, I'm very sad, Lisa, because I could talk to you about books all day long, and I think we are running Nick out quote. of time. But I would love to ask, uh, what's on your reading pile? Uh, what are you excited about reading?
1: Oh my goodness, so um, Black Cake. Um, I've also just picked up a um, book called Cleopatra and Frankenstein, and I can not remember the author's name. I have heard of that. Um Coco, but I cannot remember her surname. It's got the most gorgeous cover. And it's a love story between um very young woman, and an older man, um, but I think it's sort of gonna turn things on its head slightly in terms of who has the power in the relationship. Um and it starts wonderfully on New Year's Eve and they kind of bump into each into each other on the way to um the kind of local bodega to get cigarettes. Um and so it's just got a kind of great atmospheric opening and 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 the sort of the encounters that happen around the edges of a party that's sort of how it starts Mm. you know they kind of meet in the stairwell of this building um and that's such a great kind of premise of the opening of a novel
0: and i know you love a party i love a party you love a party in a book i love the fact that they're in a location where they can buy crisps (laughs) totally (laughs) crisps and ziggies (laughs) lucy has been such a treat thank you so much thank you for having me thank you huge thanks to lucy the paris apartment is out now in paperback and marple is out in hardback Buy two it would make a brilliant christmas present you can follow us at WhyBooked on social media look out for book recommendations words of wisdom from old guests and occasional shelfies we love it when you share the podcast with your friends and thanks so much to everyone who has left us a five-star review please do keep them coming it helps other people to discover us and new books You can find a list of all the books mentioned by Lucy at acast.com forward slash booked and check out her selection in our bookshop on bookshop.org. We'll be back soon with more book chat, but for now, I leave you with this from Armistead Mopan. If you want to know who the oppressed minorities in America are, simply look at who gets their own shelf in the bookstore. See you next time.